This is Rising Up with Sonali, and I'm your host, Sonali Kolhatkar. You can watch this program on Free Speech TV and listen to it on community and independent radio stations nationwide. The G20 summit, which took place in Rome, Italy, on the eve of the COP26 UN climate meeting, drew together leaders of the world's wealthiest nations to discuss the global economy and taxation, the pandemic, climate change, and more. With the slogan of People, Planet, Prosperity, G20 leaders signed on to a declaration that made vague promises of multilateralism to solve the world's big problems. While there was agreement on global taxation of corporations and on tackling climate change, critics worry they don't go nearly far enough. My guest is Eric Lecomte, Executive Director of Jubilee USA Network. Welcome to the program, Eric. It's great to be with you again, Sonali. So first, for those who are unfamiliar, because it's not something that consumes the U.S. media here, how do you explain the G20? Who is the G20? Is it a formal uh, you know, gathering? Is it just a sort of select, self-selected group of countries? Well, the G20 is self-selected. It is the wealthiest industrialized countries in the world. Um, so it includes the United States, Japan, um, South Africa, Brazil, France. Uh, these are countries that are part of the G20. Uh, often your listeners may hear about the G7, which is even a smaller uh, self-selecting group of the wealthiest industrialized countries in the world, uh, which includes the United States and, and the United Kingdom. Um, so the G20 uh, just completed meetings this past weekend uh, in Rome uh, where they were making uh, decisions and commitments on global pandemic response. So let's talk about what it was that Jubilee USA Network, your organization, asked of Mario Draghi, the chairman of the G20, um, uh, as they met or ahead of their meeting in Rome, Italy. It was a two-day meeting right uh, before COP26 started. And your organization's main goal for many years has basically been to ensure that uh, countries from the global south aren't uh, paying off in perpetuity the debts that were foisted upon them in the post-colonial period, right? Right. Certainly that's part of our focus. Uh, ultimately, you know, we look at what are the structural policies of the financial system which uh, perpetuate uh, inequality? Uh, what are the processes um, that either we lack or, or poor policies for why we have extreme poverty in the world. Uh, and one of those is debt, uh, that countries have debts that are so high they're unable to pay for social services. Another are global tax policies and trade policies. These structural policies uh, are, are certainly what have perpetuated poverty, inequality, uh, and debt crises uh, around the world for decades. Um, right now, what's happening uh, is that the G20 is meeting uh, around these issues, but all of these structural issues, the causes of poverty and inequality, um, they're all issues that are being decided as a part of pandemic response. Uh, because debts have been exacerbated or increased throughout Latin America, uh, throughout the Caribbean, Africa, and Asia. Uh, countries that were really teetering on the edge uh, before the pandemic uh, are now fully in crisis. We're seeing food shortages uh, around the world. Uh, we're seeing increases 
in a significant job loss, 400 million jo jobs lost, mostly in developing middle-income countries. So a part of our work with the G20 uh, at the dawn of the pandemic uh, has been organizing uh, global groups to tell the G20 uh, and the IMF, uh, as well as the United States government that while we're deciding these major decisions on pandemic response, uh, we need to have debt relief so that countries that are struggling uh, can be able to get out of the crisis. We need to have aid flows like this new type of emergency currency that we were able to create at the International Monetary Fund to deliver hundreds of billions of dollars in pandemic response aid to developing countries. We need to take on the tax policies, which are so challenging, and we saw progress on that. But another reason that so many countries are in crisis uh, is not only were they paying too much on debt, but these countries also weren't raising revenue uh, from taxes. Uh, and let's, that... let's talk about that, because we basically have a system in the global economy where corporations are able to, um, you know, uh, set up shop in what are known as offshore tax havens, uh, countries where taxation is so low or non-existent that they end up not paying very many taxes on their massive profits. You know, often these are extractive industries from these poor nations. And so these corporations are able to hide their profits. And as you just suggested, countries are not able to raise enough revenue because those revenues come from taxes. So um, there's been a lot of talk leading up to the G20 on a global tax uh, policy around the country, around the world rather, what did the G20 leaders agree to? Well, what the G20 uh, agreed to at the summit in Rome uh, this past weekend was moving forward a global minimum corporate tax. So why that's important is you had certainly tax havens, but also countries like Ireland, with which very, very low tax rates for corporations. Uh, and essentially, we were having a race to the bottom in the United States and around the world, uh, where companies would go to the cheapest tax jurisdiction um, to avoid paying taxes in, in the countries where they may be doing most of their operations. So this agreement set a 15% global minimum tax. Um, that's certainly progress. It falls short of the more ambitious calls of the Biden administration um, earlier on of 27, 28% um, after uh, the previous administration had so drastically cut uh, corporate tax rates. So that's important. Now, another area that I think is important to acknowledge is that this agreement really only uh, supports and helps wealthy countries. So, for example, the United States will raise an additional $60 billion in tax revenue uh, because of this particular agreement shift, but it doesn't benefit uh, developing countries. So in some ways they were left out of the agreement and the more important area where the G20 leaders failed to offer decision is, is what's called common digital taxes. But essentially these technology uh, taxes are things that could very much uh, benefit developing countries, uh, but that's something they didn't take a decision on. So it's progress, but there's still a lot more work we have to do both to raise 
the minimum corporate tax rate, as well as to include developing countries in these revenue raising agreements. I mean, 15% is not very much at all. It's just a bare minimum floor. Um, you know, it, here in the U.S. was a time when our corporate tax rate was 30, 35% for wealthy Americans. There was a time when it was far, far, far higher than that. Um, and, and so it just seems as though when the G20 say, people, planet, prosperity, they really probably should be putting prosperity first and prosperity for wealthy elites who are already um, privileged. Um, you know, so the people and the planet part of it, what about that? What about the uh, issue of the pandemic and the vaccine apartheid, as many organizations have called it, that poor countries are struggling with? Here in the U.S., you can walk into any drugstore today, get your second, third shot if you want. Um, but in many, many developing nations, they're struggling um, to get, you know, just the bare minimum, minimum right? Certainly, the, the crisis in, in many developing countries uh, it is really horrific, um, where, you know, most countries are experiencing the, the economic loss uh, because not having access to vaccines. Uh, we certainly know that there are, are certain countries that are now going through a fourth wave of the pandemic uh, where the, the death toll is increasing. Um, so a lot of this is an issue of vaccines. And as long as the developing world doesn't get the level of vaccines um, that uh, is needed, both to save lives uh, as well as to allow people to go back to work, it's also going to continue to cause serious economic shocks in wealthy northern countries. So, for example, in the United States, some of the supply shortages that uh, we're starting to see or experiencing, some of that is direct impacts uh, of what's happening in developing uh, economies. So this weekend, what we really had expected the G20 to do uh, in terms of this question on vaccine distribution uh, is to really offer a, a final financing and distribution plan. They didn't do that. Uh, they put forward a process in order to do it. But the World Health Organization says that we really need to hit a target of vaccinating 70% of the global population, 70% of people in all developing countries uh, by uh, the middle of next year. So, you know, where there's been some progress, we really need to be more ambitious to figure out how we're going to aid and distribute uh, vaccines around the world. Another important meeting that's coming up at the end of November is that the World Trade Organization is going to be making the next round of decisions uh, on pharmaceutical patent waivers. So there's been a big drive, and it certainly was a message of the G20 meetings, that developing countries need to be able to produce their own vaccines. They need to be able to access them from other developing countries. And part of the reason that this is not happening is because of intellectual property patents that vaccine distributors hold um, on the vaccines right now. So meetings at the end of November can also remove these patents so that uh, we can also increase production. These are important pieces coming up. And I think your last question, Sonali, about uh, the environment, the planet, the climate, uh, that's an issue where uh, we had also hoped to see more from um, the G20. 
Uh, we found that the White House and Treasury stances were very strong in terms of pushing a stronger climate message. But among um, all of the countries that are a part of the G20, uh, they didn't really deliver a very strong climate message uh, as the leaders now are all in meetings uh, in Glasgow for the climate summit. Right. Let's also talk about, uh, you know, the fact that your organization is a faith-based organization. President Biden met with Pope Francis um, during uh, around when the G20 meeting was happening. Uh, Pope Francis, although not a formal uh, leader of a, a wealthy, na- large wealthy nation, uh, does have an influential role. What do you make of what he said in using his sort of bully pulpit, if you will? It was certainly uh, important, uh, the meeting that took place between President Biden and Pope Francis. Uh, And it was important that it took place uh, right before the G20 summit, uh, because the meeting was able to shed light um, on the really important issues of lifting people uh, out of poverty, responding to the pandemic, and healing and protecting our planet. These were powerful messages uh, that were lifted up uh, both by the Holy Father as well uh, as by uh, Biden uh, during their time together. Uh, After the meeting, these messages were certainly highlighted throughout the G20 meeting. But I think what was most important uh, is from a moral perspective and a policy perspective, uh, we saw the Pope uh, and Biden kind of delivering a united front uh, in terms of raising the importance of bold, ambitious commitments to uh, protect uh, our planet, uh, as well as moving forward more quickly uh, on global pandemic response. From the perspective of Jubilee USA, given how climate change is ravaging poor nations around the world, that combined with the pandemic's um, Uh, effect has been quite difficult on on many, many countries, right? So what are your hopes for COP26? Well, COP26 is certainly an important meeting uh, and it happening uh, right after uh, the G20, we also see as as very significant. I think one of the pieces in terms of bold, ambitious commitments that come out of COP uh, is it has to influence the G20 and the International Monetary Fund. Uh, because these institutions will make some of the most significant decisions regarding uh, our planet and climate change over the next five years, Um, ones that can shape the future uh, of our planet. Uh, And a lot of people don't realize that as a part of pandemic response, as a part of debt restructuring policies and how countries are dealing uh, with the pandemic, Uh, that climate issues and climate change policies are also going to be decided in this forum. So that's something important that we believe should be lifted up and highlighted during the COP26 process and meetings. Um, It's also absolutely critical that countries are able to make commitments um, to lower their carbon emissions um, and that we fulfill the commitments to developing countries uh, to support them to be able to do the same. Uh, The reality is, is that developing countries uh, are are facing the climate crisis because many of their natural resources were taken during the industrialization period that took place in Europe and the United States in the 1800s and 1900s, fueling a climate crisis that then the effects of which with 
natural disasters, um, poor countries and developing countries uh, haven't had the ability to adapt to those natural disasters. So as a part of the previous COP meetings, over $100 million in aid has been committed so that developing countries can use this money uh, to be able to respond to the crisis. So during the COP26 meetings that are taking place uh, over the next days, uh, it's absolutely critical that we move forward on funding those commitments. Now, will this all happen? Um, it seems right now uh, there's a, certainly a lot of despair uh, among countries uh, and others who are at the meetings in terms of if it's going to be possible to fulfill these particular important aspects. Um, so that's a, a question that we're going to face over the next few days. I also think that it's possible to come up with some important uh, agreements that might be out of the box, but really help. Uh, and one of those issues that people that are meeting on the sidelines as they look at agreements is looking at how to offer additional debt relief to developing countries so they can use those monies for climate adaptation, mitigation, um, and supporting their people through the climate crisis. Well, I want to thank you so much, uh, Eric, for joining us today. Give out a website where people can find out more about your work at Jubilee USA Network. Um, yes, you can find out more at www.jubileeusa.org. That's jubileeusa.org. We'll so post... great to be with you, Sonali. Thank you Take so much, care. Eric. We'll post a link from your website uh, to your website from ours. My guest has been Eric LeCompte, Executive Director of Jubilee USA Network. I'm Sonali Kohatkar. You can access this and other interviews on our website, risingupwithsonali.com, by becoming a subscriber. Find our audio podcast on iTunes and Spotify, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at RU with Sonali.